Okay. What the hell episode is this? 24? Wow. Mm-hmm. 24. We are two episodes away from one year. Wow, you're right. Yeah. That's special. Man. That's special. Wow. I'm gonna, I'll get you uh, some paper plates. Ooh, uh, yep. This is the paper the paper anniversary, right? Mm-hmm. You actually I already gave so. me paper. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's yeah. true. I did. Yeah. Yep. yep. So we're you gonna, owe me then, I guess. We're going to get into that here on this uh, <laughs> this episode. All right. Let's do this thing. I got a vacation to get to. <laughs> Stop it. Don't open that door. everybody and welcome to another episode of the masters of unlocking a different kind of video game podcast this is episode 24 and a special 4th of july episode happy independence day for all of you listeners here with us in the united states happy northern independence day for those of you in canada who are independent from the united states and i was just looking at our listenership statistics the other day caleb and you know happy freedom from the united states day to all of our listeners over in europe which we actually have quite a few Hmm, nice well you know there's if there's enough people in the world they're bound to click on the wrong thing every once in a while it is it's like uh you know even a blind squirrel gets a nut every once in a while every Mm -hmm. once in a while we go ahead i was gonna say unless he's had a vasectomy that's, that's the that's so it really wasn't worth allowing me to proceed. So shame on you, Scott. <laughs> well, then then he just keeps looking for that nut. You know, mm-hmm. he's just just fruitlessly or nutlessly, <laughs> as the case may be. So clearly, uh. clearly, dear listener, you already know that we're a different kind of podcast and and really a different kind of human beings and probably not the greatest sense of the word. But uh, Caleb over there, he's an author, a YouTuber, and a all around video game lover. The erudite of the two of us. And me, I am a recovering video game store owner and an attorney and a finance guy. And we think of ourselves as a different kind of video game podcast because we like to delve into the business, the economics, and the psychology of video games. And as Caleb so eloquently put right here in our teleprompter, Fuck you, San Diego. (laughs) What? I'm Ron Burgundy. (laughs) So what are we going to talk about today, Caleb J. Ross? We are going to talk. We've got a packed show today. We have an action-packed show today. We are going to talk about Zombie Toys R Us, who's not quite dead yet. We're going to talk about the World Health Organization thinking that video games are going to kill us. We're going to talk about Sony giving us cheap video games, fill that video game addiction. You know, the first one's free. That's what the dare ad always told us. <laughs> We're going to talk about Showtime ordering a Halo TV series, finally, after years of rumors. We're going to talk about the shifting of the guard over at Nintendo. We're going to talk about the makers of Pokemon Go opening up their AR platform. We're going to talk about an update to Final Fantasy VII's remake, the long-awaited Final Fantasy VII remake. And then, we've done this before on previous episode, we're going to talk about 
a video game industry report. This one's from Nielsen, a little bit more uh, legitimate than the last time <laughs> we did this. So we're going to go into the, the differences and why this one's good. Nielsen's annual Games 360 report. What does it say? Is our industry here to stay or are we on the brink of collapse? <sighs> Shudder. <laughs> Caleb, how you been? Oh, I've been all right. I've been all right. Uh, work's been crazy pants. It's not right now. Um, so I am looking forward to talking about video games. I'm looking forward to alienating some listeners by mm. probably talking about games uh, that I love and they don't love. Um, and I'm angry that we don't all have the same opinions. We, we all need to be mindless automatons. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh-huh. You will be assimilated. I am human. Mm-hmm. The Borg are coming for you. <laughs> is that the Swedish chef robots? <laughs> I think so. Yeah. I, I would so. love an army of Swedish chef robots. Mm, that sounds like a video game. Like, uh, like it could be a DLC add on to uncooked. <laughs> I might actually play uncooked if that happened. <laughs> Speaking uh, of what you're playing, what have yeah. you been playing? Oh my goodness. That, what, what an unconventional question. Uh, on the first video game podcast, uh, I have been playing the hells out of Horizon Zero Dawn. Uh, I am very late to the party, I understand, but it was part of the PlayStation Days of Play uh, sale. It was 20 bucks, brand new for the complete edition with the... Uh, Fro- froze the Frozen Wilds DLC, I think it's called. Yep. Um, so I got the whole package, been playing the crap out of that. I think I've put in like 14 hours, and it feels like a single hour. Man, it is so much fun. Um, I don't like stealth games. We've talked about that in the past. Uh, this game, though, makes stealth fun in a way. And a couple things that really stick out and make the stealth really fun in this game. Um, and, of course, I'm speaking to the two people who have not yet played this game and don't yet understand how fantastic it is. Um, one, it's extremely forgiving. So it doesn't force you to spend 10 minutes setting up your stealth path so that you can only, you know, be a pixel off toward the end and all of a sudden get, uh, you know, reamed uh, and have to start all over. So you don't, you, it doesn't try patience the way that a lot of stealth games do. And also, uh, the way the, the world design works is that you're very easily able to see where it is that you could hide. So there's no real guessing. There's this tall red grass that essentially means, hey, you can hide here. So you can almost kind of squint your eyes, get rid of the shapes and just see colors and be able to see like, okay, I kind of know the path I need to take. Um, and then thirdly, and I know I said two things, but thirdly, they uh, the game allows you to map the enemy positions and track and see their paths that they're going to take. So you can kind of position yourself and and just wait until they kind of walk the path and you can jump out and and scare them uh, to death. So a whole lot of fun. Um, I I think I I can't call myself a stealth game fan because I know a lot of games don't appease my... uh, my sense of, of wanting an easy game the way that this one does. And, and so far the game has been fairly easy, um, but it's it's been so, so much fun. So I'm really sad that it took me so long to get to it, but I'm happy I have this game that it, it's a nice feeling to be at work and like eagerly like want to leave because you have this game that you have waiting for you that you just really can't wait to get into. Um, I like games. I'll play them passively. But when you have that that eager anticipation of getting home to play a specific game, it's, it's just a good feeling. It's nice to look forward to those types of things. So oh, I'm having man. a great time with it. Yeah, that's fantastic. I'm so jealous that you get to getting to experience Horizon Zero Dawn for the first time again. Oh, mm. it, I loved Zero Dawn. I mean, I raved about it last year when when it came out and and 
it came out at the same time as as Zelda Breath of the Wild. So and mm-hmm. there was just like a, a smorgasbord of stuff that came out at that same time. So I'm glad it didn't get overlooked by the community. It's it's so so good. And yeah. I, are you playing it on like a, a a 1080p TV or do you have a 4K TV that you're playing it on? Well, what's interesting is my my TV claims to be 4K, but I can't tell the difference. So I think this must be a 4K cheap TV that just doesn't reveal it. Either way, it looks fantastic. But um, but yeah, it's it's uh, I it, I think it's 4K. I, I don't know. Gotcha. You know, that's yeah, it's one of those. When when I played played through it, it was I had just gotten my my LG OLED TV, and that mm. one's got 4K and really good HDR, and Loading up Horizon Zero Dawn was the first thing I played on it, and the HDR, just the the shadows and the shading of the mountains and the scenery in the background, and when on that initial loading screen, the menu screen that comes up, mm-hmm. was just uh, <laughs> it was eye popping. It was so just the depth of sh- shading was it was a like a religious experience. Mm. Yes, and for a game about tribes and religions, it just makes sense. Yeah. Although it seems like the game is sort of making a commentary against um, uh, uh, un- unnecessary, uh, I would say unnecessary sort of tribal affiliations. But I'm only 14 hours in. Who knows? Maybe it'll totally change on me. It's so good. When when I first saw the, the preview videos for it, I was really worried that it was going to be sort of Far Cry Primal-esque. And uh-huh. like even the the HUD and the menu system and the map and everything kind of has that look to it. Mm-hmm. And I don't know whether I was so happy because I loved it so much or so happy because it wasn't Far Cry Primal. Right. So <laughs> <it>. <laughs> you know, what's amazing, too, about it. Um, you were talking about how gorgeous the game looked and I and I was, you know, realizing, yes, of course, it is gorgeous. But then I get to thinking there's a lot of games out there that are gorgeous, but I don't necessarily call attention to how good they look. And I think one of the way the one of the reasons um, that that we're saying that about this game is because the way that the HUD exists and the way that the uh, various HUD elements exist is they don't force you to keep your eye on a mini map. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have to, like, look in the corner all the time and just map your entire game based off of that. There is no mini map, first of all, but second of all, um, I at least don't think no, there's not. Um, but second of all, the the way that they guide you uh, to like different waypoints is it almost forces you to walk the actual trails and sort of look where you're go- it's hard to explain. Like basically, um, there's a compass, and the compass doesn't just tell you to go north. If your destination is ultimately north, there is a compass marker, but there's a HUD element. Um, there, I, I, sh- I guess I should say more of a of a of a user interface element because it's not, I guess, a traditional HUD. But there's a little arrow sort of right in front of your character almost that tells you the direction you need to go to stay on the path to get to that goal. So you're so you kind of just follow the path and you're able to look at the horizon as you're kind mm-hmm. of moving without focusing just on the end destination, which is very 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 clever and force and allows you to sort of really enjoy and embrace the scenery which is fantastic and it doesn't have the traditional like all of the stuff that clutters the screen because you mm-hmm. know you mentioned no no mini map and all of that sort of thing so really the screen is just like this giant 
painting of of background for you and scenery it's it's awesome and mm-hmm. i'm glad you mentioned that it's on sale for 20 bucks on the complete edition in the days of play because i have not yet played the expansion pack because mm. i was waiting for a good deal on the complete edition so while you were talking i just ordered the complete edition on best oh buy. good is it still uh 20 bucks still is yep nice, nice. so with with best buys gamers club unlocked i got it for 17 bucks uh all inclusive with tax and everything crazy so, kid love it love it love it can't wait that's awesome um i've also been playing this one slightly less uh impressive but still very fun i've also been playing or finished up a way out i've talked about a way out in in previous episodes Uh, my friend and i finally uh, after i think four play sessions got through it the game's only about seven hours long but you can only sit next to me on a couch for so long before you get uh crazy so we finally finished that out uh super fun game the end sort of is very melodramatic in terms of storytelling but takes a really cool twist in terms of gameplay no i won't spoil it or anything but Really cool the way that it, that it kind of worked out. Um, highly recommended for anyone. Uh, I think the 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 initial surface uh, criticism might be that it's very button prompty. Uh, everything, every jump, every climb, every crouch, just the screen prompts you to press a button to do one of those moves. Uh, that could get annoying. It could feel a little bit too handholdy. But I think the developers knew that two people sitting on a couch right next and, and and just would probably be chatting about things other than the game. So you kind of need those constant reminders to push you in the right direction. So, and it's not meant to be necessarily a challenging game. It's meant to just be a fun experience with a friend. So very highly recommend that as well. I think it was brand new 30. You can probably find it much even cheaper than that used now, because I don't think it's one of those games that a lot of people are going to hang on to. It's probably like, let me buy this, play a weekend with my friend and then get rid of it because the friend I want to play with has already played it. So get rid of it you know so you'll find it cheap i'm sure yeah definitely it's yeah. uh looks like i i love co-op either co-op or just local local multiplayer experiences i gush over those seem like every episode when when <laughs> when one of them comes up because they are so few and far between these days Absolutely. Yeah. So what have you been playing? I have continued to play Pillars of Eternity. I nice. It seems like every time uh, I, I end up playing the same game for episode after episode after episode, <laughs> and that's what I get for playing these games that have like 120 hours worth of gameplay to them. I'm now about 35 or 40 hours into the, the game, and I still haven't really left the first uh, sort of region for the game. Um so I'm I'm sure this will be something I'm playing for quite some time. Nice. Yeah, it, it's definitely worth checking out. It's very Diablo slash Baldur's Gate-esque. And I talked about it a little bit more in depth last episode. So if you're interested, go check that out and then go pick it up. Because uh, definitely worth it. So pickups. Mm. You mentioned Days of Play. Mm-hmm. I think... <laughs> I think your pickups may have a theme here. <laughs> you jumped right into it, huh? calling me out on this. Uh, yes, I picked up the blue uh, Days of Play PlayStation Four, and I I know which I know what everyone is thinking, including you, Scott. First of all, why? Uh, second of all, that's dumb. Uh, third of all, why? Uh, and fourth of all, it's still why probably it's, I, and, that, and that's a good question. I don't know why I bought, I bought it. I, it was the last day of the sale of the days of play, uh, sale for this particular item. And I, I, I have a thing with controllers, PlayStation four controllers. Eventually I would love to have just a collection of all the PlayStation four controllers, but they're extremely expensive. Uh, so I'm kind of waiting maybe like 10 years until they're 
just a few dollars or so. Um, but this was one that th this version of the console came with a controller that you could only get with this console, which that's cool enough. But also, um, and I, w I would not spend $300 on a system just for the controller. So let me make sure everyone understands that. Um, it was, uh, I, I had been meaning to update my PS4 to a one terabyte drive for a while. Like if I could find a good deal for it, I was going to do that. Um, and this just seemed like a good excuse to do that. Now I'm going to be selling my, my old PlayStation 4 along with probably a couple games, uh, a couple limited run games actually. Uh, so hopefully I'll get some good, good prices out of that to pay for the, 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 blue playstation 4 um but yeah it's it's just kind of fun kind of a cool novelty i will say the one thing that's a little annoying about it is um the they kind of mix gloss and matte finish so the bottom half if you were to look at it horizontally uh the bottom half is kind of a matte finish like the normal playstation finish would be but then the top part where it has all of the where it has the gold uh the gold uh button look uh, images um, is, is glossy and I just don't like that mix of gloss and matte I wish they would have just gone the whole way with gloss or matte but um, minor minor gripe but just kind of cool so there we go yeah it, it's so it's such an awesome look to it I think I mean at least the pictures I haven't seen one in person yet but I multiple times almost pulled the trigger on it <laughs> had it been a, a PlayStation 4 Pro I, mm. I, I would have been all in Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would have added, you know, a hundred bucks to it, but yep. Uh, yep. <laughs> yeah. So what about you? What have you picked up, sir? Well, I, we are coming up here on our one year anniversary uh, as a podcast and my gracious podcast host got me a paper anniversary gift. What? Who did yeah. that? Yeah. 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 So we've talked about, we've talked about these from time to time on this uh, on this show, and I should say you've talked about them because it seems like every other episode you you mention <laughs> an, uh, an article or a a segment in one of the boss fight books that you've read. And so Caleb sent me the Metal Gear Solid boss fight books, and so that is my very first boss fight book. Caleb, you deflowered me on our very first anniversary. <laughs> man, I can't wait to high five my friends at a bar later. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, fellow man, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Hoorah. Uh, well, I, I hope you enjoy it. I, I, there wasn't any particular reason I chose that book. I, I know that you're a fan of stealth games and everything, but that was, I think, the one that. Um, I don't know if someone's going to be introduced to those, that series of books, that's a really good one. I will say it sets the bar pretty high. If you really like that book, uh, the rest of the books will probably be good, but they won't be as good. If you hate this book, um, then you probably won't like the other ones either. And it's actually kind of a theme. Ashley Birch did the voice of Aloy for Horizon Zero Dawn, and she's one of the authors of that book. I, I just thought yep. of that just and, now. So. And we have, you have talked quite a few times in, in episodes throughout our, our year history here about Ashley and Anthony Birch in various capacities, whether it's their their podcast or their YouTubing or their voice, you know, her voice work or in boss fight books and their writing. So, um, you know, that's why I thought you sent it. And maybe I ascribe more <laughs> meaning to that than I should have. Um, well, I, anytime I can push good wares on good people, I'll do that. So. <laughs> and well, that leads me into my very next pickup. Which was also a good wear pushed on me by one Caleb J. Ross in our last episode. If you'll recall, astute listeners will remember, had they made it through our entire three-hour marathon of a E3 episode last episode, that you brought up the book Blood, Sweat, and Pixels by Kotaku's Jason Schreier not once, 
not twice, but three times last episode. And so by the third time, I finally just said, screw it, I'm ordering it. And so that has arrived and uh, is now sitting on my living room table and uh, waiting for me to dive in. That's that's what see, that's what you should do for your week vacation. Bring a couple of books um, and also a Nintendo Switch because books get boring. That's true. That's true. <laughs> However, if I spent the entire vacation reading and playing the Switch, I'm sure I'm sure Laura would not be thrilled with me. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. It might be nice to take a break from having to talk to you. You know, that's <laughs> that. Yeah, that's probably true. It probably she'd probably look at that as a welcome a welcome reprieve. She'll send me a thank you card. As literally every one of our podcast <laughs> listeners is nodding in 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 agreement. Yes, I don't want to listen to this yeah. guy talk. Our podcast is used as torture in some countries. It, it is. It yeah. is. I have that on good authority. It's waterboarding, <laughs> masters of unlocking, waterboarding. <laughs> so we're we're not even like the good part of that compliment sandwich. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Not good. Not good. <laughs> but I did. I did also buy some video games since our last episode. I've been getting more into picking up more and more of the physical PlayStation VR games. And so I, I picked up a couple uh, that are becoming a little more difficult to find. Radial G, which is a wipeout style futuristic racer. Uh, so I'm sure that will be very motion sickness inducing. I haven't tried it yet, <laughs> but I can only envision that going poorly. And then I picked up a game. I imported this one called Summer Lesson, which basically looks like a pervy uh, Japanese schoolgirl <laughs> simulator. So uh, that will be, uh, I'm sure, ridicule-inducing as it sits on my shelf. But uh, oh, it's, yeah. it's out of print and is becoming quite rare. It's probably the second rarest title for the PlayStation VR behind Job Simulator, both of which sound just like amazing fun. Wow. I am looking at the images of that game. Uh yeah, yeah. I, I hope uh, you lock your doors before you start playing that. That one is not intended for polite company. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, another item that I got, and this is one that I'm I I like. I'm really enjoying the series of or the release series, and it's it's Reverie. So it's a sort of adventure RPG. But the series, it's it's released, published by East Asia Soft, and it's one of the exclusives that are released by East Asia Soft through Play Asia. And their limited edition collection is just very <laughs> Oh boy. Yes, yes, yes. Please Oh, so Ka- <laughs> carry on, carry on. No, pretend Ka- nothing happened. Caleb is distracting me by posting screenshots from this summer lesson game into uh, into our Word document. Uh, and it's much more raunchy than I had even imagined in my wildest dreams. To be fair, that's the one really raunchy image. The rest of them are just pervy. <laughs> At least with the safe search turned on on my browser. Maybe if I turn it off, it'll be... Oh boy. Oh boy. Oh <laughs> uh, yeah. This is this is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I'll see if I can find more. Go ahead. So back to back to East Asia Soft. They release a limited edition series of PlayStation 4, Vita, and now Switch games in sort of a limited run style. They're they 
limited to usually anywhere from a thousand to three thousand games per but they're they're cheap they run anywhere from 25 to 35 dollars for the limited edition versions and the limited editions are fantastic they come in they include the the game itself usually a soundtrack cd they're individually numbered with a serial number and then have like a nice outer outer box this is really what i want from a limited edition it's not that it doesn't have a giant statue it doesn't take up a huge amount of room it's shelf friendly it's it's the perfect almost the perfect limited edition slash collector edition. The only thing that could be better is if they included a steel book with it. And that would mm. just be like the best limited edition format that you could possibly have. In my opinion, is your version entirely, um, space oriented? I mean, like if you had infinite space, would you actually like the larger collector's editions? Yeah, I think, yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, I like the, the artwork on them typically for the boxes, you know, it, it looks more like something that you can display as a box and, and see from afar. So they're good, like upper shelf decor. But I mean, the, it, I'm sitting in in my kind of what I call my for sale room when I where I record. It's got my it's really my it started off as my office and my podcast recording room, but it has now become like my eBaying and uh, video game. I need to sell these room, and mm. I'm basically going through a process right now of just jettisoning all of my collectors editions for the most part, just because they're with the amount of games in the collection. It's just having having one game that takes up the 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 space of you know 20 standard size games is just not tenable any longer mm-hmm. so getting rid of most of those stuff and and stopping buying them but there'll be some stuff that I are more near and dear to my heart that I'll be keeping but for by and large I'll be out of the collector's edition game out of that game it's a sad day for sellers of collector's editions everywhere yep yep very true very true the other three games that I picked up were all Switch titles and kind of limited limited print run type Switch titles. One is Yoku's Island Express from Sold Out Games. Uh, one is Runner 3, the initial print version, and that's from, I think, Nick Alice. And then The Lost Child, which is a JRPG from NIS America. Just adding to the the switch, the growing switch collection there, and that is that is all I picked up this uh, this week around here. So not uh, nothing too huge. I didn't knock out any more Nintendo games or <laughs> any of those uh, sets that I'm working towards. So you know we're basically halfway through the year here. I'm going to really have to pick things up in the second half of the year. Yeah, absolutely. You've uh, I think it's I think every episode you've like had a pretty giant contribution although it seems like there's been a few things that have sort of fallen into your lap too like the xbox grab yeah yeah that's very true that's very true now i need to just have like a intellivision hall fall into my lap and that'll take a big chunk out of that you know speaking of picking things up you know what else needs to pick itself up in the second half of this year Mm, i'm so excited for you to say it because i can read it Toys R Us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So as we record this, we're recording this on Thursday, the 28th. And most Toys R Us stores, either their final actual days having doors open was either today or tomorrow. A um, lot, of, lot of folks on the social media reminiscing and talking about how they will miss Toys R Us and how, you know, a piece of their childhood is passing away along with the closing of Toys R Us. However, 
some news broke this week that all of this may be a bit premature. Toys R Us may be coming back from the dead. It's uh, with the pr- the the prevalence of zombie games in the market today. <laughs> Apparently, Toys R Us just really wants to get in on the the zombification action. <laughs> The news that broke this week was Jerry Stork, Gerald Stork, who is formerly Toys R Us's CEO. He was actually the CEO of Toys R Us when I worked for ToysRUs.com back uh, after I sold my video game stores. I worked for a call center basically for a cup for about a year before I went to grad school and the call center that I worked for did work with a bunch of different uh, different retailer sites and I specifically worked for the Toys R Us line and what I would do is I would handle all the calls where people would call the office of the president Jerry Jerry Stork and I would basically handle those escalations so people would write letters to the CEO I would answer those people would call the CEO they would talk to me. And so when I saw that Jerry Stork was actually working with a bunch of investor groups to take over the brand of Toys R Us and reboot it and get it back up and going, it, it sort of struck a chord with me because uh, the the brand did really, really well under his, his leadership. He was the uh, CEO. He took over after Bain Capital took Toys R Us private back in 2005, and he was there for about eight years. He left in 2013. And pretty much the entire time under his um, leadership, the the brand did extremely well. And it really wasn't until Bain loaded it up, loaded the the company up with debt that it really started struggling. Um, And it was really the debt load itself, not the operating model that is – that caused Toys R Us to to force them into bankruptcy and ultimately liquidation. So – Jerry Stork kind of sees this and he sees that the brand is, is, is still has value, right? And so he is working with several investor groups, namely Credit Suisse and Fairfax Financial Holdings. And Fairfax Financial Holdings is actually the investment group that owns Toys R Us Canada. Um, so that he's working with them to actually look into rebooting the Toys R Us brand after it finishes going through its bankruptcy process here. So, in about a month after Toys R Us fully closes up shop, they're going to go through bankruptcy court and auction off all of the remaining assets. So there'll be auctions for all of the real estate that they own. And one of the auctions that Gerald Stork is particularly interested in is going to be the intellectual property auction. So they basically auction off the Toys R Us brand. They auction off the Babies R Us brand. They auction off the Jeffrey trademark. All of that stuff gets sold at bankruptcy after these companies go out of business so that they can recoup some money to pay off all of the the people that the the old Toys R Us owes money to. Um, and so because of the fact that this information got leaked, that Jerry Stork and some investors are looking to reboot the brand, there's probably going to be a pretty intense bidding for Toys R Us's intellectual property because usually what happens is competitors buy up the intellectual property so you might have you know a toy company or a smaller toy retailer buy up the Toys R Us brand in an attempt to not only utilize it down the road perhaps but more so just to sit on so that someone else can't 
so that a competitor can't buy it up and then fill that role that Toys R Us used to have. So the fact that there's multiple folks going to be bidding on this and including a couple of different groups that are looking to reboot the brand itself, Jerry Stork's group just being one of them, really indicates that there is some interest in in bringing Toys R Us and Babies R Us back and that it wasn't really their operational model that caused the decline, but it was just the the crushing debt load that Bain Capital heaped upon it and really a failed leveraged buyout that that caused the the firm to to collapse. And what do you think the public perception is when it comes to um I mean, I feel like when I feel like when people were talking about Toys R Us closing, the common refrain was well obviously of course i mean amazon that's where people go to buy toys now who needs a dedicated toy store of course they're going down of course they're going down but if the truth is is that it was really the debt not necessarily the operational model is there public perception though that toys r us and that business model is in fact dead and therefore there's a pretty steep hill to try to bring this brand or any other dedicated toy brand back I don't know. I think the fact that it did create such a, an outpouring of people thinking about the nostalgia and wishing that their children could have the experiences that they had wandering through the, the toy store halls, you know, as a, as a child, I think might do the brand good. And starting from scratch too, the, the company can, make itself more efficient, right? They can they can really hone in on on doing a better job with the the online product. Formerly Toys R Us had always outsourced their their online product to eBay Enterprise. So it was really a a turnkey solution that Toys R Us had very little to do with. They were really focused on their brick and mortar stores and and because they're not loaded with all of the legacy operational issues that they had I think you can avoid a lot of that that concern. And depending on how long it takes for them to actually fully do a reboot, and this all hinges on them winning the IP, right? I mean, mm. the, 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 it's no sure thing that Gerald Stork's group will win the IP in bankruptcy. May, they may not get the Toys R Us trademark at all, in which case this is kind of a moot point. But I think if it's gone for a certain period of time and it comes back, it could create a buzz. You know, it could create a continuance of this longing for nostalgia. We see not only in in the retro gaming market, but things like Toys That Made Us, the show on Netflix. There's there's a huge nostalgia kick for all things retro right now. And I don't I think a lot of that just has to do with the age group that we're in and the fact that, you know, in your 30s and 40s people start to feel like start to feel nostalgic for the things that they grew up with and having that quote-unquote midlife crisis and looking back to their past and trying to rekindle some of those joys that they had in childhood so uh, i think a brand like toys r us can really capitalize that uh, if they do in fact turn around and and make a comeback Hmm. there's another part of the story sort of kind of related so if we can accept that there is a gap left by uh the by by toys r us there's a there's a gap in the market a need for dedicated toy stores uh apparently party city is possibly looking to fill that gap um and possibly even using maybe vacant toys r us buildings depending on how that goes but even if they don't they're looking to fill that gap you doing pop-up stores um specifically around the holidays that would focus on uh, Mattel and Hasbro, I think, is another one of the, the brands, um, along with just your general Christmas decor every year. So do you think if there were pop-up stores, would that satisfy that itch to, to some degree? I'm not sure. I'm not sure that you can do a pop-up store with the 
scope of a Toys R Us. You know, the Toys R Us was always one of the things that really was impressive about Toys R Us is that it was massive. You walked in and it was just endless, endless toys. I don't think KB Toys has the same nostalgia, even though it had the same market and was a a heavy heavy competitor but it they were more about the number of locations they were in virtually every mall throughout most of the country and they, but they were smaller footprint right they were just regular non-anchor mall stores and they didn't have that sense of hitting you in the face with just massive endless aisles of toys and and i think that's where a lot of the nostalgia and the love for toys r us comes hmm yeah, I, I as a parent, man, I just uh, I don't know why any parent would ever take their kid to a Toys R Us, <laughs> like because you're you're walking out spending more money than you want to. Your kids already have a billion toys at home; they don't need more. Um, in fact, that's one of the things I often tell my kids is if they ever express that they're bored, oh, I'm bored, Dad, I'm bored. I say, well, you know, play with your toys. I don't want to play with my toys. Okay, here's something you can do: throw your toys away. What? Well, yeah, I mean, you're bored. They'll give you something to do. You obviously don't want your toys. Let's let's throw them away. And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. So I, I I think that would be hell to just go into a Toys R Us with kids. That's why I go by myself, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's definitely true. <laughs> uh, man. So could, so is it safe to say, do you think, that uh, if, if a parent takes their kid into a Toys R Us, they're suffering from some sort of, of mental disorder, possibly even they're diseased to some degree. Uh, and as it turns out, that wouldn't be the only toy slash gaming related disease on the horizon now would it scott no that's very true that's very true the world health organization now we we talked about this before we we mentioned this back in episode 12 that this was something they were looking into and we we thought i think we came down on the the side of this being a bad idea then and or at least a an idea that we were hesitant about and now it's officially happened. The World Health Organization officially classifies video game addiction as a disease, and they're calling it gaming disorder. Uh, now, <laughs> I this kind of, I mean, I, yes, you can be addicted to anything, right? You can be addicted to the phones. You can be addicted to Coca-Cola. You can be addicted to sex. You can be addicted to basically anything that you get enjoyment from because if it, if you get enjoyment from something it's releasing dopamine in your brain and that's really what you're addicted to you're addicted to the dopamine rush that you get from that that immediate sense of satisfaction so i just think that having a disorder for everything is a little bit ridiculous going into the details here on gaming disorder they they define it as you know, for gaming disorder to be diagnosed quote the behavior pattern must be sufficient severity must be of sufficient severity to result in significant impairment in personal family social educational occupational or other important areas of functioning and would normally have been evident for at least 12 months end quote now that's pretty damn broad. <laughs> it needs to have happened for a year and you need it needs to to interfere with some other thing in your life, some other thing that you have scheduled. So, like, I don't know, I, I'm really behind on Westworld because I've been playing Pillars of Eternity. So 
ergo gaming disorder. Yeah, but has it happened for 12 months? Yeah, actually, yeah. I mean, <laughs> see, I don't I don't remember when season one of Westworld ended, but I haven't seen epi- any episodes since. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think we need the World Health Organization to get over here and help me. You're trading one addiction for another, right? Like you're addicted to uh, Westworld. Yeah. <laughs> Let me replace that with video games. Exactly. I get get that get that dopamine rush. It's like <laughs> uh like a rat, you know, hitting that uh hitting that button over and over and over. I think um my take on it I my take on it's probably a little bit more lenient than yours. Um although I still think on its surface it it seems I'm I'm skeptical of the idea only because gaming is something that I hold very dear and is very important to me and anytime there's um possibly a perception that what I love could be not universally the greatest thing ever for everyone. Well, then of course I want to sort of defend it. So I have to, I have to acknowledge that that's probably where my head is at. But I also, at the same time, um, am optimistic in a couple of ways. One, um, you know, gaming disorder would not be the only subgenre of addiction. Um, you know, you can be, there's, there's alcoholism, there's gambling addiction, that sort of thing. And all of those are largely in the realm of addiction. Uh, gamble or alcohol, I guess would be different because that is sort of a physical thing, but, um, but gambling, for example, I mean, that's an addiction, uh, that would be, that's under the umbrella of addiction, but it's a specific type of addiction. And so, as a, as a reasonable person, I know that there's a difference between pulling a lever on a gambling machine and playing a video game. And because there's a difference between those two mediums, there may perhaps be a need to study those things in different ways. So maybe the classification then allows funding dollars and allows funding to sort of uh, narrow in and pinpoint, you know, and in, in some ways, then maybe instead of grouping Instead of saying, you know, we already have established that gambling is a terrible thing and there's 12-step programs for gambling. I think there is anyway. I don't know if there is. But anyway, there's programs for gambling. Now that gaming, video gaming is its own thing, there won't be that temptation to necessarily pair video games in with gambling, which is already this bad demonized thing. So it it allows this sort of separation that I think could potentially be beneficial. Um, I also have to remember, too, that um, if we accept that addiction is a bad thing. So addiction is, is, is by its very definition is an aggressive behavior is, is very, very aggressive. And so if we accept that it's a bad thing, then I think we can probably take a step back and say, okay, if I'm addicted to video games or if a person is a truly addicted to video games, then it is a bad thing and probably does that person probably does need to stop doing that. Now, I think where you and I probably don't have uh, enough faith, or at least me, I'll speak for myself. Where I don't have enough faith is I don't understand what constitutes addiction enough. I don't know if that is a slippery slope type of argument where one doctor could argue that something is an addiction, whereas another doctor could say that's not an addiction, and it comes down to personal uh, or professional uh, professional uh, opinion. And if it comes down to professional opinion, then there, yeah, there is some leeway depending on which uh, judge happens to be on the Supreme Court. Would we outlaw video games? You know, I don't know. Um, perhaps uh, you know which judge is. Um, friends with which uh, psychiatrist or which doctor that dis- that determines that that this type of thing is is an addiction and this other type of thing is not a I don't know I, I I feel like there is a slippery slope argument there but I think that slippery slope argument is only because I personally don't know enough about how things get classified and what happens there and to be frank I'm way too lazy to do that reading so <laughs> <laughs> I think I have a couple of issues with with it that that I'm 
legitimately concerned about one the so the american psychological association came out and basically criticized the who and their rush to to codify this the disorder and i I think a lot of what they're rooted their criticism is rooted in is that this is a relatively big step this is the first time that that the who has really started to branch out from something that doesn't really have a a chemical impact on on the body um and it's it's they're worried about the fact that this is this is starting to to pathologize things like media consumption and Mm. what that means for just the the like you said a slippery slope sort of scenario what i'm also concerned about in in connection with that is once you start getting into that, does that then take funding away from things that, in my view, legitimately need funding to to research to to combat actual health problems and and problems that that folks are dealing with, you know, every single day. You know, things like things like depression. We've seen a lot of uh, a lot of media and in tragically so around people who are you know in the limelight dealing with depression and and. I think things like that deserve far more research and far more funding to try and combat than um, somebody who spends their evenings playing video games. I, I see what you're doing there. You, uh, someone who spends their evening playing video games. I think you, have, yeah, you're laughing because we're you're being such an attorney about it. Um, so no, um, yeah, it's. I I just have to believe that that there is a. Um, I don't know. I don't I I want I want to be angry about it. I really do like because again it gets back to the point of someone is demonizing something that I love and I want to be angry about it but gosh maybe I'm just this eternal optimist where I feel like there's good helpful smart people who are making these decisions based off of good helpful smart scenarios and situations and then that it's not like a group of people who are purposefully trying to demonize video games or things like that. I think it it could be either one of those. I guess I'm just ho- I'm I'm optimistic. I'm hoping it's not the case. You are the eternal optimist, <laughs> and I'm true. the one of us who thinks the nine scariest words in the English language are "I'm from the government and I'm here to help." <laughs> it's true. It's yep. true. Well, we'll we'll touch back on this probably. I'm sure as it as it further develops, if it further develops, and then Scott and I can get into fisticuffs, and I can lose immediately. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not not much for the fisticuffs. Me either. It'll and, be the and, it'll be the greatest slap fight the world has ever seen. <laughs> My arms are very very short. This will not go well for me. <laughs> you know, you know who is actually trying to help us? Help us feed the video gaming need in our lives. Step in and and just fill that gaping hole of of materialistic and video gaming desire. Um, the, the guy in the alleyway who's trying to sell me video games. Yeah. Mr. Sony. Mm, I love Mr. Sony. Mr. Sony. The PlayStation hits line finally coming to PlayStation four. I feel like this is perhaps the longest into a life cycle we've gone before the, the greatest hits line really unfolds because this is, these are the first, this is the unveiling of PlayStation four greatest hits, right? Uh huh. Yep. This is the first. And this lineup is something special. There is a lot of awesome games in this lineup. There is. And and maybe what we can do here, how about this? I'll read through them real quick. This, this is more of a newsy, like, 
us being good stewards of the video game world by talking about this. I think in normal situations, I add it to the list just because it is such a, it's the first time for PlayStation 4 and it's been so long. But the truth is it's sort of a throwaway news item, but very cool for all of us. So um, I'll, I'll read through all the titles really quick and then maybe we can talk about if, if we are interested in purchasing any of these. Um, so Battlefield 4, Bloodborne, Doom, Drive Club, Infamous Second Son, Killzone, Shadowfall, The Last of Us Remastered, Little Big Planet 3, Metal Gear Solid 5, The Definitive Experience, Project Cars, Ratchet and Clank, Street Fighter 5, Uncharted 4, A Thief's End, Yakuza 0, and Yakuza Kiwami. Mm-mm-mm. Those are some good ones. Delicious. Absolutely delicious. Yeah, there's there's a few in there. Uh, that, yeah that uh, I'm, I'm interested in. So uh, there's a lot of them in here that ha- if I did not have them, I would Im- absolutely immediately buy them. Ones like Ratchet and Clank and Doom. Those are two uh, fantastic games that, yeah, 20 bucks is totally worth it. Um, and I, I would say I'm interested in Metal Gear Solid Five. I haven't played a Metal Gear Solid game since the second one. Um, and I know I've just talked about how much I hate stealth games, but um, I wouldn't mind giving that one a whirl. Um I do have one of the Yakuza games that unfortunately I had to stop playing because I had other games that sort of took over my my attention. I think I have Yakuza Kiwami probably is the one I have. Um, so Yakuza 0 I, I would definitely pick up. Um, and then I wouldn't mind, uh, I believe, isn't Killzone the game by Guerrilla, uh, the people who did, um, uh, the people who did, uh, uh, the game we were just freaking yeah, talking about. Yeah, they 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 did. Yes, Guerrilla Games did Killzone Shadowfall. Thank you, Guerrilla Games. Yes, they so, did that. They did that game you're playing. Right? <laughs> that one. That one. Yeah. The one I just yeah. talked about how great it was, but uh-huh. can't remember the name of. Yes, that yeah. one. Yeah. Um. So I might be interested in doing that just to sort of see the the genetic uh, the ancestry of the game. Even though mm-hmm. Killzone is, was apparently a great game, got great reviews and everything. But if it weren't for uh if it weren't for that game that um I raved about and can't remember the name of then uh, then i probably wouldn't be as interested in it but you know i think it's called horizon zero remembrance <laughs> well that make that title makes just as much sense as horizon zero dawn <laughs> at least so far unless at the end they it all comes together but yeah yeah there's there are no dongs at the end <laughs> did you say dong yeah yeah horizon zero dong <laughs> right? right i'd watch that movie <laughs> uh so what about you any any of these tickle your fancy yeah, well, I'm, I own every single That's, one of them. Yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> but like you, I mean, there there are multiple on the list that I would run out and get immediately at twenty bucks. Doom, Infamous Second Son, I had a lot of fun with. Little Big Planet Three, Last of Us, Last of Us Remastered, absolutely. Ratchet and Clank, Uncharted Four, and both of the Yakuza's. I think every one of those is absolutely worth the the twenty dollar price point. Some of the other ones on the list you can get sub you could basically get for ten bucks pretty much in a lot of places like Battlefield Four and Street Fighter Five, you know, Drive Club. I think I picked up at ten bucks a year ago. But the ones we just talked about are are all well, well, well worth the twenty bucks. And at twenty bucks, you know, if you pick them up now with Gamers Club Unlocked, you're really only in it. 16 bucks so yeah no excuse not to and from a business perspective you mentioned it had been a while this had been the longest we'd gone um without having the greatest hits or in this case called playstation hits with which i think is noteworthy and that they uh they are using the different 
title for these for the first time ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but also, why do you think they do this now? Like, is there a business reason for like, do you feel like they were just sort of coasting on their laurels for the longest time and they didn't need a greatest hits line? And this is sort of a an injection of uh, sort of a PR injection. I think maybe. I mean, there's the PlayStation Four is is hands down the runaway leader world worldwide for the eighth generation, and I don't know if that has much to do with it. But I think I I think we're nearing kind of the end of the the eighth gen, and I think this helps invigorate and pick up the the sales numbers a bit because we talked about in our our annual report episode earlier this year how Sony's gaming division is really what's powering Sony as a company. Their gaming division is producing more revenue and more importantly more profit than any other division in the company and it's not close. Uh, I think their second largest is their their audio and and home theater division, which is like producing I think just over half of the net income that the gaming division is producing on a year to year basis. So, I think the fact that PlayStation VR is no longer new and it just had a price cut, PlayStation Four Pro is no longer new. There is less high high dollar items that are high dollar hardware items that's juicing their gaming division revenue so i think this is a way to go out and and entice people to maybe pick up three four five games that maybe they wouldn't have done otherwise if they still sat at the you know the the standard retail price Hmm. nice yeah yeah taking off our sony hat and putting on our guns and cars hat (laughs) showtime finally has ordered a Halo TV series. So this has actually been rumored to be in the works for several years in in media circles that that Showtime and had been dabbling with the idea of a Halo TV series and they finally pulled the trigger on it. They announced that they officially signed on to order a 10 10 episode season 1 that is expected to start filming, start production in early 2019. So we're still, you know, a year out at least from from seeing season 1 of the Halo TV series. My guess is it'll it'll air starting in the fall of 20 fall of 2019 so we're probably like you know a year and probably 15 months out would be my guess um but david nevins the president of showtime networks came out and basically said halo is our most ambitious series ever and we expect audiences who have been anticipating it for years to be thoroughly rewarded in the history of television there simply has never been enough great science fiction Showtime is obviously not HBO, and you know, nobody, I think, would would claim otherwise, but Showtime has really been ramping up their original content production and their original series quality lately. So the fact that they're coming out and saying they're going to be throwing a lot of, of resources behind this, there hasn't been any information yet on a budget for the project, but it, it sounds like they're going to be throwing a lot of support behind it. Yeah, it's. Uh, do you think that a TV show has a better chance of, of being a good video game adaptation than a movie just by nature of its serial setup? Yeah, I think so. And I think something where you're in a a world that's pretty well developed 
um, and has a, a developed mythos behind it, I think helps because they don't necessarily have to spend the whole time focused on Master Chief. Yeah, they they can do a whole development when when the initial attack comes and go through almost like a a Cylon invasion Battlefield Galactica sort of story arc. And they don't have to necessarily just be walking through Halo 1 and walking through Halo 2 and, and the stories that that they entail. Yeah, I hope they don't follow Master Chief only because he doesn't talk much. So that would be kind of lame. That would be a very interesting decision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they, they finally take off the helmet at the very end and realize he's just, he, he, there's no person in there. It's just, it's, they've been talking to a mannequin the whole time. <laughs> or he's got his mouth sewn shut like some sort of Mortal Kombat character. Yeah. I'd, that'd be a good reveal. <laughs> oh, man. You know who doesn't have his mouth sewn shut? That we know of. Yeah, we know of. Well, I saw a picture of him earlier today, so I'm fairly certain that... that it was photoshopped. It was photoshopped, yes. Yes. This is actually... He's Sub-Zero, and uh, <laughs> his real name is Shantaru Furukawa, and he is officially taking the reins over at Nintendo. So we mentioned this was coming back in episode 20, which was, again, our our annual reports episode where we talked about uh, Sony and Nintendo and what they'd done in the year that was and what they're going to do in the year that's coming. So um, Furukawa officially takes over as the CEO of Nintendo of Japan. And he had some interesting comments that he made at, at his, in, his introductory investor press conference. Now, Furukawa was a, a Nintendo veteran. He joined the company way back in 1994 and has done a lot of work with the Pokemon company um, in the last you know, four, five, six years as a, an outside director. So uh, Nintendo has is sort of a part owner in the Pokemon company. So it's common for a, as a someone with a vast interest stake to have someone from that company serve as a on the board of directors so um you know and arguably the pokemon company really got nintendo through some lean years there you know before the before the the wii really hit the pokemon was kind of a crutch for them through throughout some some down cycle years through the N64 and uh, you know, GameCube era, financially speaking. And he's quite young. Uh, I know we talked about that last time as well, but he sort of grew up on Nintendo uh, in a way that uh, by playing the games in a way that no other president really has. So that I think will be a, an interesting perspective. And um, I'm excited to see kind of what he does. Absolutely. And and his youth, I mean, you, we mentioned before, I think he was in, in his 50s or maybe 40s i can't remember but he he is quite young and and not only is that interesting from just a ceo perspective but it's especially interesting from a from a japanese company perspective which mm -hmm. usually leans much more uh, skews much more toward you know seniority uh, but i think this is the youth and the fact that he did grow up with nintendo is indicative of where Nintendo wants to go. And we, we, we mentioned this back in episode 20 that this likely signaled the fact that they're going to look more at the changing marketplace. They're going to look more at things like mobile, things like online. And, and the comments that Furukawa made in his investor, in 
initial investor uh, introduction call today, it actually happened earlier today as we record this, really reinforced that. He said, obviously, we're going to focus on the Switch. That's kind of a no-brainer, and that's just that's Nintendo's bread and butter right now. Uh, it's their growth their growth tool at the moment. But what he said next was was really what I thought was interesting in the, the presentation was he, he talked about how specifically said they're going to work towards strengthening their digital business and building longer-term relationships with consumers via services like Nintendo Switch Online. So traditionally, Nintendo has been much more of a traditional, I'm selling you a widget and that's the transaction, and then we'll have another transaction maybe when you buy my next widget. Whereas so the the game's market in general is switching to more of a software as a service model. You've got things like uh, games with gold. You've got PlayStation Plus. You've got now Nintendo Switch Online coming where it's much more of a subscription style model and you're getting kind of a, a, a ongoing relationship with your, your consumer base. Now, does that mean that, that they're going to evolve Switch Online into something even even more even greater than you know i think something that people are already excited about with the the games that come with it the retro gaming does this mean that maybe in the future they're going to move away from the model where you have to rebuy a game on every single platform where they're looking for longer term relationships with customers you know all of those things are i think could be on the table you know you've got you've got a guy who is younger and open to some some new ways of thinking you know it's not just the games themselves but also theme parks feature films um that sort of thing you know we know that uh, Shigeru Miyamoto is currently uh going to be the co-producer of an animated Mario movie um, produced by or created by Illumination, I believe, is who's doing that. Um, and then the theme park, there's the there's the Nintendo theme park uh, that is under development. So uh, a lot of really interesting, cool kind of things. Um, I'm hoping they don't dilute themselves too much and pull away from games because they are one of those developers, one uh, the one of those publishers that consistently pushes out good, fun stuff, and I don't want them to ever stop. Well, Nintendo has always been very, very protective of their intellectual property. You know, I mean, I think they had a sour taste in their mouth when they tried to go outside their comfort level back in the the late 80s, early 90s, when the, the Mario Brothers movie came out, and, you know, it was an unmitigated disaster. <laughs> But it is good to see th these things done well can be a huge boon. You look at just the the gaming industry in general, and it's it's ubiquitous throughout American culture and really world culture. And we'll get into that in our main event when we talk about this Nielsen report. I think it's inevitable that they, in order to maintain relevance and maintain a presence in the front of of not gamer mindset, it's always going to be in front of gamer mindset, but getting in front of uh, gen pop, you know, the general population is is crucial and making sure you maintain that brand awareness among uh, an ever growing more crowded marketplace. Mm -hmm. Speaking of uh, crowded places, <laughs> the real world is, is very crowded, right? And uh, I think one of the things that we always strive to do in the real world is to make it as more crowded uh, by bringing people out of their homes and into the real world like Pokemon Go did only, what, two years ago? Last year? I don't remember. I, I tried playing it once and knew immediately it wasn't for me, but it was for a lot of people. Yeah. 
Um, so what's happening here, uh, Niantic, Niantic is uh, the company that created the platform for Pokemon Go and also Ingress and the forthcoming uh, Harry Potter AR game, so which which looks terrible, but there you go. Um, that company Niantic is opening up its platform, opening up what it's it's called its real world platform, uh, which is essentially the the building blocks for those games. They're opening that up and allowing other developers to to use it, um, which is really cool. Uh, it is a very very sophisticated, very cool technology that's built upon. So, 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 so much data. So um, those who used to, who played Ingress, I played that a little bit back when it kind of first came out. Um, It's essentially Pokemon Go, but minus the Pokemon characters and everything. It's sort of a real world, sort of, I'm pretending to be a spy, uh, you know, uh, drops, uh, picking up drops and, and all those kind of things. It's very cool experience. But uh, but yeah, so they're opening up to developers uh, to to work with the technology, which is really cool. And I think there's a lot of sort of, game skin overlays you can imagine with Pokemon. I mean, you could take the Go concept and port it to any game that is already an open world game and you basically have another game. You could have Fallout Go. You could have uh, uh, the game that I played and, and rallied about this the earlier and can't remember the name of Go. Uh, you could have so many cool experiences, but I think I'm primarily interested in to see how the non-gaming community takes this on. There are... Um, there's there's obvious AR uh, non gaming AR experiences already out there, but to be able to build off of the foundation that Niantic has put together is I think really a cool 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 concept. I think it would really allow for sort of a real world uh, tour museum tour type of thing. Just as as a very small simple example, but I very much a much smarter people than me I think will be able to really build out this technology and make it something really really cool. AR is an interesting technology. I mean, it's there's a lot of debate in tech circles as to whether AR or VR is going to end up being the more impactful technology. And AR, for for those who may not know, is augmented reality versus virtual reality. So augmented reality, obviously, is like Pokemon Go, where it takes the world around you and incorporates an overlay of whatever you're doing into that. Metal Jesus Rocks put up a video where he was testing the upcoming Microsoft AR product. I can't I can't remember what it's called now, but that video looked amazing. Like that would be something that I would want to play and I think it it helps alleviate some of the isolation and non-social mm-hmm. friendliness that VR has. You're not quite as sealed off from the world in it. I think uh, I just AR just that it's much more accept, accessible than VR. Uh, VR you still have to put on a a big helmet. You have to put on. You have to pick up the controllers. You have to. You know, it's a whole system. You're tethered down. AR just simply isn't. So AR is more accessible. Um, that may make it limited in the the experiences that it can provide, but it'll also mean that I think that'll advance probably quicker than VR uh, once this platform opens. And I, and I don't want to make it sound like this one platform that Niantic has is sort of the the uh, the cornerstone of all AR. It's definitely not, but I think it will allow. Uh, you know, maybe uh, amateur developers to sort of experiment a little bit more with it, possibly. Um, that's usually what happens when this sort of technology opens up. Um, but yeah, I'm. It'll be cool. Do you know what else is going to be cool? <laughs> Final Fantasy VII's remake. Man, I've been on the edge of my seat for this since it was announced just a short time ago at E3 2015. <laughs> And it's it's really been more or less radio silence ever since. But finally, after three years of waiting, 
Tetsuya Nomura finally comes out and says, we have an update. And his update, victoriously, he pronounces, we probably announced this thing too early. And the crowd went wild. Uh, Thank you. Thank you for this wonderful, wonderful news. No shit. (laughs) Uh, Well, at least he didn't try to hide it. You know, at least he kind of came out and and admitted to it, which is kind of cool. But still, there's no news beyond that. Like, we still don't have any idea how far they are into development, when it's going to be released, if it's going to necessarily be released. Like, it's still very up in the air. Someday, someday we will get to enjoy cloud in all of his hd glory mm-hmm. but not yet but not yet maybe there'll be questions about cloud and his hd glory on a forthcoming nielsen report yes huh? yes in, that would be a weird question it'll take this is the nielsen 360 report so it'll probably be 360 years before final fantasy 7's <laughs> remake actually comes out but it'll still be worth it today we are talking about the 2018 Nielsen Games 360 report. So this is a report that Nielsen, who is the company that is one of the more recognized names in advertising and market measurement. They are the company that sort of pioneered television ratings and not ratings in the sense of like the TV 13 rating but more like this this television show scored a 4.7 in the nielsen ratings so this is that nielsen it's a company they do all kinds of media measurement media audience viewership and is a company that in in my real life job i deal with their um the reports and, and data that they put out on a daily basis. So when I saw this pop up in my Nielsen feed, I thought, you know what? Now here is a report that we can actually talk about that will go a little <laughs> bit better than you know, a previous episode where uh, we talked about a little bit more of a fly-by-night report. So Nielsen actually has some science behind it. They actually have a like statistically significant sample size. They go through pretty um, arduous hoops to try and make sure that the sample size is representative of the U.S. population. So the report itself kind of it shows trends over time they try to to watch the same things over a period of time they've been doing this i think since uh, 2013 now so they've we've got five years of data to go through to look at trends to see how the in gaming industry is shifting and the report is really broken into three sections one is a gaming industry overview that just talks about the growth of the gaming audience and how that gaming audience is distributed how it's made what it's made up and how that shifts and then the second section is the evolution of the gamer and it looks at the way the game playing and gaming market is changing looks at things like game playing time purchasing habits and the way gamers and the public at large is using all of the different ways that we can interact with games whether it's gaming via console or gaming via pc or gaming via a tablet or a mobile device and then the third section is trends to watch so this is looking at things that we sort of hinted at things like virtual reality augmented reality 
new the new 8.5 gen consoles that come have come out um and then esports and how um how the retro scene has really burst on to uh the market in a in a real meaningful way with things like the the Nintendo Classic systems and the Super Nintendo Classics and the uh the Atari box you know things that are are really playing on the retro nostalgia but our our current products and so let's just get started with the industry overview (laughs) (laughs) so the first thing that that it talks about here is really just looking at the general population in general and and when we use the term general population in in reference to this report they it's basically the u.s population age 13 and up so that's what they're using as kind of their their market segment. And in that market segment of age 13 and up, the number of people who identify themselves as quote-unquote gamers is, I thought, relatively astounding. Mm-hmm. Back in 2013, 58% of the general population age 13 and above identified themselves as a gamer, which was massive. And it's only done nothing but grow since then. It's steady growth, 2013, 2014, 2015, 2016, 2017, and now 2018, it's up to 66%. So 66%, two thirds of the American population, this, this, this article was limited to the U S it was all respondents were, in the u.s but two-thirds of the population identifying as gamers is astounding and that's astounding even if you parse terminology i mean if you i I know plenty of people who play video games but may not necessarily call themselves a gamer so this is 66 percent of i would imagine anyway 66 percent is representative of people who like not just play games but like really enjoy gaming or that's part of what they do daily i would say yeah i mean the 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 question is around whether you would identify yourself as a gamer so if you're the casual you know we player your your grandma or mother-in-law or whomever that got the Wii just because it was the the fun thing to do for, you know for, for the family likely wouldn't identify as a gamer 66 percent it's crazy it's good news it is good news it certainly is good news the next question that they asked was about platform and how you consume video games and this i thought was interesting because this isn't like your platform of choice as in playstation 4 versus xbox versus pc this is more more general than that it's do you play on consoles do you play on computer or do you play on phone slash tablet this was really interesting because since 2016 the number of people who say they play games on all three of those device categories is actually shrinking so back in 2018 or back in 2016, 18% of of gamers, self-identified gamers, say said that they played on all three console all three platforms, console, mobile, and computer. And that's now shrunk down to 13% in 2018. And the growth is actually in single platform 
playership. It was went from 42% in 2016 up to 48% in 2018. So gamer, what that says is that gamers are really consolidating their gaming. They're choosing one platform, again, platform in the term of console versus mobile versus computer, to really do their gaming on and the other the other mediums be damned more or less which is hmm. is interesting i would have thought that it would be the other way around with sort of the way everything in media is fracturing people consuming media on multiple different devices i found that to be surprising yeah it's uh it's very surprising especially considering how how seemingly popular gaming uh, game how much how available games are becoming on all of the various types of platforms people are spending more and more time on their phone you would it would stand to reason that people would be willing to play games on their phone and on their console and on their computer um but no and playing off of that it, it's interesting the the next deep dive on the study was looking at gaming on mobile and tablet devices so it actually took console players. So there's 60% of gamers identify themselves as console players. And of the, of people who play games on console, the number of people who do not play games on mobile or tablet is actually increasing. Mm -hmm. So from, from 2013 to 2016, it was, the number of people who were playing on a gaming who were also who were buttressing their console playing with gaming on a mobile or tablet device was increasing really at at leaps and bounds kind of pace and then something happened in 2016 where that shifted and it's been decreasing ever since and it's interesting because that's sort of 2016 was really the high watermark for the number of console players who also played on a phone or tablet. And I believe 2016 was when Pokemon Go was released. Mm. So I wonder if there's any kind of correlation there where people played a bunch of Pokemon Go and then started thinking, yeah, you know, I, I, I can't be playing games on a phone anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you think that turned them off of the phone completely. It's like, you can't do it. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm done. Uh, yeah. What's interesting too, and this, uh, as, as a, as a fan of console gaming, I always want people to be on my team. Um, the, uh, the platform preference, uh, between console gaming, mobile device, and computer. Um, console gaming has grown since last year. Uh, it's about half prefer console gaming. Um, and about 21% prefer computer. Um, and 27% was in 2017. So that's actually shrunk six percentage points since 2017. So uh, you know, the, the sort of uh, master race that is PC gamers, um, while they may still be adamant, the numbers seem to be shrinking in favor of con of console gaming and in favor of mobile device gaming, which is interesting. And that could be simply because mobile devices have gotten cheaper and mobile devices are always in your pocket, in your hand, and computers are not. And mobile devices are becoming almost like there's not really a whole lot to differentiate between a computer and a console. You have to sit down and play it anyway. Consoles are getting really, really, really good. Com graphic fidelity will only take you so far. So they're kind of the same thing now. And if they're the same thing, you might as well just have a dedicated console because it's easier, less room for error. I don't know. I found that to be really surprising. I see, I, I don't know if it's just because the the PC master race is, is very vocal, but it seems like I had always thought that PC gaming was in this renaissance and that it was coming back and that Steam had really reinvigorated it. But this is a pretty drastic drop off 
from year to year. I mean, it goes going from 27% to 21%. Yeah, it's only a six percentage point decline, but it's basically a almost 20% decline uh, in and of itself, you know, shaving, Mm -hmm. shaving over 20%, shaving 6% off of under 30%. So, I mean, that's, that's a trend that I would think the folks at Valve would have to be very concerned about, Mm -hmm. although they're not, you know, they're not starving. Yeah, they're fine. They're fine. Um, yeah, Gabe Newell still has his his uh, Windows ninety five money. I'm sure he's rolling in, so he's fine. Yeah, that that's very true. Very true. Probably still using Windows ninety five. Probably. <laughs> we talk about gaming, and we talk about how it's really become front and center in American culture. And it's we've mentioned on previous podcasts that video gaming as an industry has surpassed the cinema and Hollywood industry in terms of revenue generated. But you look around and previously, you know, you think back to the launch of the PlayStation one, the launch of the original Xbox, the launch of the, the Nintendo 64, things like that were, they were big deals in the gaming industry. They were big deals in your gaming circles, but I don't know about you, but growing up in the nineties, being in high school in the nineties and college in the early two thousands, video gaming wasn't something that you could just walk up to somebody and talk about randomly, you know, in, in public, it was sort of like the thing that you did uh, in your basement. And, you know, where it was like the, the seedy underbelly of the entertainment industry that only geeks and losers did that I think has changed 180 degrees. I think now people talk about games at the office, people it's water cooler talk, things that are not, that would have been relegated to people who read video game magazines, you know, and um, were sort of on the fringes of society. Now it is a very, uh, embraced part of the entertainment world. You've got television stations launching esports. You've got Madden tournaments airing on ESPN. You know, it's it's a completely different world, and and the stats really bear that out. Part of this survey was a awareness of consoles questioning, and eighty six percent of the general population had heard of at least one of the current generation consoles. And that itself was an increase from last year. So, I mean, you think of of brand awareness is a pretty common survey question when you're going out and you're doing marketing surveys and you're trying to find out how your brand is registering with society, how it's resonating with the marketplace. And to have 86% awareness levels is is massive for mm-hmm. you know you might not think you think oh yeah everybody's heard of Xbox everybody's heard of PlayStation but think about our parents think about our grandparents right they're part of this 13 and up demographic they're part of this overall general general population society and i know if i had to talk to my grandma she would have no idea what an Xbox was she would have no idea what a PlayStation 4 was, and she certainly wouldn't be able to come up with it unaided on a survey. She might surprise you. You don't know. 
She might. She might. She's a pretty cool lady. I did get her uh, an iPad. So, you know, she's got it set up with a Gmail account. She had uh, uh, she did FaceTime you know, going from when she was a when she was a, a young pup. She didn't even have running water or indoor plumbing. And, and as a 96 year old, she was FaceTiming halfway across the globe. Not only does she have a toilet now, she can text while pooping. That's right. Oh, the miracles of modern society. <laughs> So one of the things that did surprise me that caught me off guard in this awareness realm was one of the questions was around awareness of current consoles, current generation consoles among people who identified as gamers and among and comparing them to the general population at large and comparing them then again to people who identified as non gamers. Did you did you see this page like? The number of people who were aware of PlayStation 4, Xbox One S, Nintendo Switch, PlayStation 4 Pro, etc. among people who identified as gamers, shockingly low, I thought. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Of people who identified as gamers, only 58% claimed to be aware of the Nintendo Switch. (laughs) Which makes me wonder, like, what exactly... How do you... How do you identify as a gamer if you are just not aware of current generation consoles? And I suppose I suppose a large segment of this is people who are just purely mobile players. Well, yeah, that's probably true. Um, although the same number, although 78% have heard of PlayStation 4. And you would think that if you're a mobile player and you've heard of PlayStation 4, you should have also heard of Nintendo Switch, especially given that this survey was probably done when the switch was as probably at its peak like uh, awareness i'm sure i don't know exactly when this when this study was done but i'm guessing it was done probably not sh- not not soon after the launch and the marketing and everything else of the switch so kind of mind boggling mhm mhm it is it is and also what was interesting about that particular uh graph too is you'll notice that Xbox consoles, so it, it bridges two different generations, Xbox uh, One and Xbox One X, um, bridges those two consoles. The Xbox systems are closely aligned in terms of uh, the the order of awareness. So if we look at gamers aged 13 and plus as an example, Xbox, Xbox One X, 66% awareness, um, Xbox One and Xbox One S, 64% awareness. Number one at 78% is PlayStation 4, but it's not until number five that you see PlayStation 4 Pro, which just goes to show that Xbox, the, the Xbox One X, Xbox One, Xbox One S, all of that, all of the marketing is just so much more intertwined there. And it mm-hmm. could be that there's less of a distinction between those. Um, it could be that there was just mark more marketing behind all of those. But even as a gamer myself, I, I often find it difficult to keep track, which one is the good one, which one is the, you know, the, the, the half step generation, which one is the full step generation, you know? Um, so I don't know, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm obviously a sample set of one, but it just, it's interesting to me that, that PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 4 Pro are so far apart from one another in terms of awareness. I actually looked at that from a different perspective entirely. So that's interesting to hear, hear you say that because I looked at it as PlayStation 4, almost everybody's aware of it. It's got highest rating, as you mentioned, it's 78% awareness rating, but then PlayStation 4 Pro 
was bottom of the barrel. It was 37%. So basically half, less than half of the people who were aware of the PlayStation 4 have any awareness of the PlayStation 4 Pro, which is the complete opposite of Xbox One X. So that indicates to me that there's a confusion in the marketplace about what PlayStation 4 Pro is, and Sony's doing a poor job of differentiating it and what it brings to the table, mm-hmm. whereas Microsoft has put a lot of money into really pimping the Xbox One X, and and it's constantly, you, you really can't go anywhere without seeing an advertisement for it and seeing it, uh, you know, being, being discussed as the, the 4K gaming machine. It does this and that. And really, I mean, it's basically the exact same as the PlayStation 4 Pro for all intents and purposes. But I just, I think that Sony is not doing as good a job as Microsoft at promoting it and pushing it. I mean, going back to the days of play, if 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 Sony was serious about getting PlayStation 4 Pro adoption, the days of play PlayStation 4 would have been a PlayStation 4 Pro. Mm-hmm. And Sony has done this time and time again where all of these limited edition systems that they come out with that are commemorative, that are, you know, promoting a game, promoting a movie, the Star Wars one, whatever it is, they're all the the PlayStation 4 amateur version. They're never all very very infrequently are they the pro version whereas you you look at at Xbox and they're constantly pimping, you know, their their newest best and brightest consoles. Uh even in even in all of their Twitter marketing, you look at at go to like Major Nelson's Twitter feed and it's every time he talks about something, it's you know plays best on Xbox One X and this is why. Hmm. Yeah, you're right. Interesting. Mm-hmm. The next section of the report really gets into preferences and how people are interacting with games, playing games, how they're spending money, what their game time is breaking down like. And this is interesting because the first the first section of, of this area of the article talks about the debate that we've had on this show many, many a time, physical versus digital. <laughs> now, on the PC side, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised about this. Of PC gamers, of of gamers who identified themselves as primarily PC gamers, 71% of them prefer digital games. And I think that's reflective of the marketplace. You look at the marketplace, it's dominated by Steam. I, I don't remember the last time I walked into a store and saw a PC game in physical form. I I don't even know if Best Buy carries them. I know they used to have, you know, aisles of PC games, but I I don't think they still carry them. The last time I was in a Best Buy, they did have them, but it was literally, and I kid you not, probably five titles and a couple copies of each. I mean, it was essentially throwaway space. You could tell it, and, and it had not been cared for. I mean, these boxes were kind of on their sides and these were not no-name games these were probably the only five games you would ever want to buy if you were a pc owner i mean there's a lot of the five very popular games i should say but yeah it was a disheveled mess gotcha yeah I, i i think it's just it's so much more ubiquitous in the in the pc realm and i think i wonder how much of that is stem from the fact that the pc has done a good job of or PC publishers, I should say, has have done a good job of separating ownership from the purchase. You know, from even when you were buying physical versions of games, they were largely tied to single use activation keys. 
So having a disc didn't give you the ability to sell that disc to somebody by and large. You know, once the, the activation stuff came into to being, that was kind of the end of the used PC market in, in any real sense. You know, there's, there was a reason why GameStops and, and most of the used places didn't do PC games. Um, you had to basically be like a mom and pop shop that really knew what you were doing in order to play in that market. Whereas console is people expect to be able to buy a game and then go in and trade it in toward their next game. It's very much more a core central piece of the ecosystem. Well, and I think it probably also comes down to, you mentioned it earlier, Steam. Uh, Steam, if you think about all of the games in the world, you know, 95% of them are probably available digital only. Um, at least in the PC world. And that's it's been that way probably since the advent of Steam because you can, have, you can be any small indie publisher uh, and upload a game to Steam and be just fine. I mean, Steam has hundreds and hundreds of new games, sometimes thousands of new games every week that get uploaded there. So there's just, and, and all of those are, you know, digital only. So there's only one way to get them. And there's just that mindset that you can only acquire things digitally anyway. It was able to evolve into that though, because it, it was able to gain traction in the first place. You know, had had the the console market tried to do that and just jump in, I mean, we we kind of saw that when the Xbox One launched and Microsoft sort of went down that path and it was a unmitigated disaster. But I think the PC crowd had already sort of been acclimated to the fact that games are a license and you're not actually buying something that you can go and resell, mm-hmm. which then yeah. gives you a marketplace for all of the indie publishers to go and sell wares in that is is readily accepted and populated with loads and loads and loads of customers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we said the, the 71% of PC players prefer digital. On the console side, it's almost the exact opposite. 66% of console gamers still prefer physical media. And really, that tells me one crucial thing, and that's that 34% of console gamers don't have a fucking clue what they're talking about. <laughs> yeah, since when are these Nielsen things supposed to be opinions? <laughs> <laughs> opinions are like assholes there's mine and there's everybody else's <laughs> you're not wrong i guess yeah <laughs> so after they they didn't just talk about preferences in terms of who who prefers digital games to who prefers physical games that wasn't the end-all be-all of this they they then went and dug deeper into this and said okay well now we know who prefers physical games for both console and pc and who prefers digital games for both console and pc then they looked at it and they said i wondered if gameplay time differs between these two people these two do do people who prefer physical games whether console or pc act differently than people who prefer digital on console or PC. And what they found was that actually people who prefer digital games end up spending more time playing games. I don't think that's terribly surprising, right? I mean, if if, if they're easier to access and you are used to having quick, uh, quick access to any game that you could possibly want and you're okay with that, then you'd probably be more willing to play games more often, I would think. Well, and I think, I think, Part of it comes down to that something that you've touched on in in prior episodes when talking about just me and collecting and and collecting being a a hobby in and of itself. So in collecting video games and collecting the physical games, 
the act of collecting takes time. The act of organizing the collection takes time. The act of curating the collection takes time. And if you're just playing digital games, that's not something that you're concerned with. You mm-hmm. you click buy, you download it, and you play the game, right? It You, you don't spend time organizing your Steam library you know, other than just dropping them into folders, perhaps. You don't spend that extra time with that other hobby, which it really is. It's a, there's a playing game side of the hobby, and then there's a collecting game side of the hobby for those who who prefer physical. And I mean, it, it's really the the numbers aren't all that close. You know, you look at the of the people who prefer physical games in a typical week. The average play time was. Five and a half hours between console and PC. It was five hours for console gamers, six hours for PC gamers. So say five and a half hours, and then you look at those who prefer digital, and it's basically seven hours. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it, that's that's a sizable gap on a percentage basis. Yeah. And this is not rolling mobile into either of those two camps, correct? Correct. This is just this is just PC gamers and console gamers because they assume there there is no choice for a physical game for. I guess that that makes sense. Of course, of course, yeah. But then, conversely, then they said, okay, so we know that people who prefer digital games play games more. What about spending? So, my gut reaction initially before I looked at the data on this was, I bet people who prefer digital games spend more on games just because it's so easy the transaction is it's distanced from forking over your credit card it's distanced from the psychological shelling out of money and actively going to purchase something but in reality people who prefer physical games spend almost twice as much as people who prefer digital games. You know, I, I have a different view on it. I would say physical games are generally more expensive. So it might not necessarily be that you're less willing to, or you're more willing to fork over the money. It's just that they're by nature more expensive, I would think. And plus, if, if, we're, if we're equating PC with Steam, I don't know of anybody who buys a game on Steam full price. Um, there's sales all the freaking time. Um so, yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm not too terribly shaken by this. I guess um, this does answer the question, though, as to why you were not asked to participate in this Nielsen study, because you would have thrown this entire study out of whack with this one question. <laughs> I bet you're looking at that like only 38 bucks a month. How? how? Yeah. Like, <laughs> kind of shy. And that's PC gamers, 38 yeah. bucks a month. Console gamers, $23 a month is the yeah. physical physical average boy <laughs> are you dreaming of all that you'd be able to do if you had that money if you had the money that if you only spent 23 dollars a month on games kind of yeah you'd be, you'd be living in you know a mansion <laughs> man i'd have that mcmansion that i've always dreamed about filling with video games well you wouldn't be able to fill it yeah there wouldn't be anything in it that would be sort of depressing mm. that's like the old uh gift of the magi type of situation right yep absolutely yeah. absolutely mm. it, you can't have it all, I guess. That's right. <laughs> time or video games or McMansion. <laughs> Speaking of time, the next question that they looked into was, okay, of overall leisure time, so of the time that we're not sleeping and we're not working to afford to be able to spend time in, during, in leisure doing things, how much of it is 
spent in a typical week gaming versus all of the other things that people fill leisure time with. And since I'm clinically addicted to video games, I don't have any other things. So <laughs> I'm interested to see that this really hasn't changed much since 2013. It's remained relatively constant. They broke it down instead of an hourly basis. They just said as on a percentage basis, because people, the, the amount of leisure time that people have shifts all over, right? 10 hours a week might be all of my leisure time, and it might be 5% of the leisure time for, for someone else, right? Mm -hmm. So on a percentage basis, every year since 2013, it's been either 11% or 12%. And it just sort of hovers right there, um, you know, in that kind of statistically insignificant uh, variance, mm -hmm. which is, is kind of surprising because we've talked about how the ubiquitous of video gaming has grown and the spending on video gaming has grown and video gaming itself is becoming more accessible and more social and more impactful on popular culture. But yet it doesn't seem like people are really doing all that much more gaming. It makes me wonder if, you know, one, if you're a gamer, you're a gamer, you're a gamer, meaning that uh, even, you know, back in 2013, there may have been fewer gamers, but they knew how to spend their time wisely, 11% of the time gaming. Um, and as more people become gamers and more people get acclimated into that, into that culture, um, you know, it, that doesn't necessarily correlate to more time spent, right? There's, there's, I think, more opportunities to play games, but there's also less leisure time, I would imagine. So while I can play a game on my mobile device now much easier than I probably could back in 2013... Um, there's also probably other things vying for my attention. So it would be kind of nice if there was an additional component to this that said, that kind of broke down what you spend your, the rest of your leisure time on. Like if 11% is on video games, how does the rest of it break down? So we can just sort of see what else is constituting leisure time. I understand that's not the point of the study. So of course it wouldn't make sense to do that. It's actually, it's, it's interesting that you say that because on page 17, they do just oh, oh, that. Oh, do they really? Well, look they, at that. Yeah. <laughs> Hey, Look, they do. And it's the, and not only that, it's the only chart on page 17. So. This is like where the teacher calls on you and you say, you know, what I really found lacking in this study was X, Y, Z. The professor's like, oh, somebody oh, didn't, you didn't read, read the study. <laughs> Dang it. So on that point, Caleb J. Ross. <laughs> I, you're lucky. I, see, I wanted to feed this. This is, this is the segue. This is probably my, uh, that's what it is. It's a segue. I, intentional. Probably the most delicious segue you've ever, you've ever come <laughs> up with. And, and you are the segue master. It's true. Yeah. So much more so than the segue venture capitalist guy who drove his segue off a cliff. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so video games at 11% is actually the number four share of leisure hours amongst general population members. Number three, no, well, number five coming in right behind video games is the definition of exact opposite of video games. And that is sports and wellness <laughs> coming in at 10%. So number three, right above video games at number four is social activities with family and friends. That was 17%. So not quite twice as much as, as video games, but 50% you know, more than, than 
video game time is social activities with friends and family. And that's that's probably healthy. You know, that's it's healthy that people are spending more times in actual society with their actual friends and their actual families than they are playing video games and arguing with 14 year olds in Korea. Mm -hmm. Although uh, where I wonder how they phrase the uh, phrase, the survey, because there could be overlap there. You could play video games with family and friends as a social activity so very true very true so maybe maybe this there is a an overlap here and really there could be some overlap in the next one as well because number two is internet use and that's that it encompasses just general web surfing as well as all like social networking so this Mm -hmm. is your facebook your twitter your snapchattery your instagramming (laughs) all of that stuff and I think it's a telling little glimpse at society that we spend almost 50% more time surfing the internet and digitally interacting with our friends than we do actually interacting with our friends. That's why they're our friends. We don't have to talk to them. (laughs) That actually makes a lot of sense now that I think about it. 17% social activities, 23% internet antisocial activities <laughs> and then so that, that internet is actually tied for number one i didn't notice this before 23 percent shares one and two and number one is 23 percent still is tv and movies and that kind of surprises me you know I, it makes me wonder what tv and movies share it made up 10 years ago right 15 right. years ago you know my guess is it's probably the the combination of one and two there it's probably takes over a lot of that internet and social networking time would have been tv and movies making it closer to 46 percent. i'd agree yeah the, that, that basically just says that video games at 11 percent is about half as much as any of the other singular activities that people spend their leisure time with which seems low but again i'm an anti-social video gamer getting into a little bit more on the actual games themselves they looked at platform splits and platform splits they went a little bit more granularly on in terms of where people are spending their time and so instead of just looking at tablet versus console versus um pc they actually split it up into tablet pc eighth generation console seventh generation console and handhelds and interestingly, and probably unsurprisingly, the only one of those buckets that's growing year over year is eighth generation consoles. You know, people are starting to phase out of the consoles that are seventh gen. People are playing less PlayStation 3, people playing less Xbox 360. And interestingly, this one did surprise me. People are playing less handhelds. Mm-hmm. I wondered how much of that is switch related right does if i'm playing switch does that count as an eighth generation console or does it count as a handheld again makes me wonder how the questions were worded and and we have to trust nielsen obviously they know what they're doing so yeah what's interesting though is and we'll talk about i I think there's a there's a stat i don't know if you have it in the list here but what was interesting though is when we do further down in the study so proof that i did read through some of it uh further down in the study it talks about um that 
there is actually growth in usage of seventh generation consoles, but not for gaming. It's for everything mm-hmm. except gaming, which is kind of interesting. People keep those those dusty old things around uh, for, you know, watching movies and that sort of stuff, stuff that doesn't require graphical updates and, and you know, better processing powers. They can keep them around quite a bit longer for non-gaming stuff, which is really cool. Yeah, it's it's really astounding. I was stunned at the amount, on a percentage basis, the amount of time that's spent not only on seventh generation consoles, but eighth generation consoles as well, doing non-gaming activities. So it was a great segue again, Caleb. Well done. Yay. Well done. Man. Oh my God. <laughs> I've been practicing. You, you're just crushing this whole thing. <laughs> what would you say your answer would be if you if someone asked you, on your consoles, how much time, what percentage of time is spent doing non-gaming things? Uh, 0.5%, and that 0.5% is switching between menus. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I only use it for that. Uh, well, you are in the vast major- minority, <laughs> sir. Yes. Now, yeah. the average is actually 55 to 60% of time spent on 7th and 8th generation consoles, respectively, is not gaming. So it's doing things like watching movies, watching Netflix, watching TV, streaming service with VOD, watching Blu-rays and DVDs. It's It really has. We've, we've come almost, we've basically come full circle to Trip Hawkins' dreamland and what he really was hoping the 3DO would become. Mm-hmm. I'd say to be fair, I'm only 0.1% non-gaming because my TV has the built-in apps that I would use. So Netflix, YouTube, that sort of thing. If my TV didn't have those, then honestly, yeah, my number would probably be about 50% uh, video games and 50% non-video games. Yeah. For a long time, my PlayStation was my Netflix box. Yeah. it Before I had, you know, I mean, I've got Roku's on each TV just because it's the, the interface is easier to deal with. But yeah, for a long time, I was right in this. I would definitely have been in this this same bucket where half of the time probably would have been spent non-gaming stuff. I wonder how that'll shift over time, you know, as as more of these streaming sticks and streaming boxes and things become more ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. So the next, the next kind of change over time question is looking at purchasing habits. So we've already mentioned, you know, how physical people who play physical games are spending more but of all console and pc gamers this year just compared to last year 38 percent of gamers say they're spending less compared to last year which i thought was not entirely shocking yeah i mean we looking back at last year and we kind of touched on this in the the sony discussion about what they may be thinking and trying to to get people buying more you know playstation hits games i think 2017 was a unique year it had a ton of huge mega hits you know it had zelda it had mario odyssey it had um horizon zero dong it had (laughs) (laughs) it had near (laughs) dong (laughs) good It had Nier Automata, you know, it had, and not only a, a slew of amazing games, but it also was, the Switch was, you know, basically hitting its stride. The PlayStation 4 Pro came out, the Xbox One X came out, the Xbox One S was still, you know, 
cruising on all cylinders. So I, going into the reason why people said that they were spending less on gaming this year as opposed to last year, it really breaks out. There were four answers and they were all relatively answered equally. One was I play free games or trials. So I think a lot of that is probably you know, people just playing demos or playing the, the free to play stuff like Fortnite, things like that. Um, Games I currently own keep me engaged. So I think we've all got backlogs that are you know, more than we will ever live long enough to get through, especially cons- especially PC gamers with the Steam libraries. I mean, that's basically a, a you know, story in and of itself for everybody who has a Steam account. There hasn't been a new video game that I've been interested in this year, which it surprised me that that was that high. Yeah. And then the other answer is that I just I typically wait for games to be discounted, which for me seems interesting, because if that's the boat you're in now seems to be like the time you would be buying all of the great gems from 2017. I mean, we just mm-hmm. talked about how Horizon Zero Dawn is $20 and Nier Automata is available on the cheap. And some of the Nintendo stuff is starting to be more you know readily available on the used market and um, just Somewhat surprising, but uh, that, that that was one of the reasons. Not so much that people are spending less on, on video games as a whole. But I think the fact that people are spending less on video games might get back to the answer to your question as to why Sony's now rolling out the, the greatest hits stuff. Mm-hmm. So getting into the trends here, which is the last segment and... This is this will really go relatively quick because there's only like two two areas of, of general topic in this. Um, one of the things that was interesting, I thought, was just among trends. They talked about the eight eight point five gen consoles, these upgraded versions, the PlayStation Four Pro versus the Xbox One X that we talked about. And really, this surprised me that gamers have really been slow to embrace these consoles. Only seven percent of people who identified as gamers had a PlayStation 4 Pro or an Xbox One X. So 7% had each. So it was really, it was 14% have one or the other. And that's compared to 45% who have one of the standard 8th gen consoles. I think 4K gaming is struggling to, to gain traction. I think people think HD 1080p is 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 plenty and mm-hmm. they're not entirely wrong. I think it is definitely more of a novelty sort of thing. Yeah, I agree. At least it is for me. Absolutely sure. I mean, I didn't even know, as I mentioned earlier, I didn't even know if my TV was 4K or not because it just I, doesn't matter to me. I think by and large for most games, unless it's something very striking like Horizon Zero Dawn was, I if you showed me a 4K playthrough and versus a 1080p playthrough and both were you know nice screens it wasn't like you know the the $20 Walmart TV for the 1080p one and and a $2000 OLED for the 4K one i think uh, i would have trouble telling the difference more yeah. than likely yep ar and vr so the, we touched on this a little bit earlier but not a lot of ownership traction yet, which doesn't surprise me. I think there's still a lot of hurdles to adoption, especially of VR. Um, you know, you're, you're still it's not it's still not a super great experience. You're still tethered to a device. You're not really getting that holodeck virtual reality experience. But um, I was surprised that only 13 percent of gamers 
have some sort of VR or AR device. You know, I thought that given the combination of PlayStation VR and Oculus and all of the options that are out there, it would have been slightly higher among gamers. Yeah, it makes me wonder if they don't realize that their phone is kind of an AR device. That's very true. That's very (laughs) true. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they answered that as, as just VR would be my guess is that's what that question was about. Gotcha. The last point here is really talking about esports. And esports is becoming a inextricable part of gaming culture. It's really experienced some explosive growth over the last couple of years. Um, and we've talked about this on on the podcast in previous episodes, how it's getting more and more viewership, how it's becoming much more mainstream and and the money funneling into it and the the legitimacy of the owners who are getting involved, um, you know, who are big names in sports ownership and entertainment ownership over the last year. The survey reports that the growth of esports viewership and fandom has just been rapid among people who who identified as esports fans in the survey almost a third of them say that they only started becoming an esports fan within the past year i mean it seems like esports is is really starting to hockey stick in terms of the way it's taking off yeah the the watch time that was reported is three hours a week on average which is pretty amazing and that's just esports. That's not just like watching any sort of. Yeah, uh, that that was just esports. That's crazy. Yeah, and and it really. I mean, I think this is is why you're seeing so much money being funneled into it. Is not only is it it getting a lot of viewership in terms of just screen time in a in a ever more competitive environment, but it's also hitting a core audience that advertisers have for ages been trying to crack and that's the 18 to 34 crowd that's the crowd with the most disposable income it's the crowd that is most respondent to advertising so i think i think you're you're just going to see over the over the next over the next few years how esports is going to be really transformative in the video game market right i don't like it but that's the way the world's going Yep, absolutely. There was a quote here that sort of summed up a lot of this stuff that that the article is or that the the survey is really telling us and and you you sort of honed in on this. You want to you want to touch on this as before we before we call it a day? Sure. Uh so the quote is gamers increasingly want game experiences that are tailored to them, delivered by brands that understand their needs and whose core values match their own. Which is uh, which which is an interesting quote. Though my question is, do gamers actually want this, or is it the core values that allow gamers to weed through the many, many, many games that are out there? Um, either way, either way we look at it, I'm totally cool with that. I love it when people buy with values in mind, but I also love when values are able to guide someone through the just plethora of of crap that's out there. Um, so yeah, yeah. I mean, I think. I think you could take that that sentence, right, and really apply it to almost any product in the market today. I think it's not just gamers that are increasingly wanting to be 
that are increasingly experience focused. I think we're sh- we've shifted as an economy from a goods and services or from a goods based economy to more of an experience based economy. People don't want to just go out and have dinner. They want to go out and have dinner at, at something at some place that's really an experience. They don't want to go. They don't want to just go to a store. They want to go to a store that is tailored directly to them. They want to have that experience of feeling like they're someone from having walked in there. My friends who are in marketing harp on this all the time, that it's people are expecting more, they're demanding more, and um, you know the, comp- the, mar- the brands that don't embrace that are brands that won't be along- around for long, and gaming is no exception to that. I mean, look at the the response that Sony's had to do to sort of play firefighter in the wake of their Fortnite lockout, right? Mm-hmm. Where where Microsoft and and Nintendo's Fortnite and PC sort of play nicely with one another, and and Sony doesn't, and the market sort of erupted at it because it's that that's not the experience that's tailored to them and or a brand indicates a brand that needs uh, needs and knows your core values absolutely well this was another marathon episode (laughs) we are not quite as marathony as the e3 episode but uh, a lot of a lot of good stuff in this article we will link the full article it's a it's a pdf we will link to it in the show notes and uh, have it for everybody to download and check out. And this is something that Nielsen releases every year. Let us know if you like these kind of episodes. You know, we I know it's, it can be hard in a podcast to um, ingest a lot of the numbers and stuff that we talk about. So let us know. Is it good? Does it suck? Um, do you want us to do more of it? Do you want us to do less of it? We we would love to know. We want to tailor this thing to so people actually like to listen to it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll share our values. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can do so. You can let us know your thoughts. We are accessible on the social medias. You can find Mr. Caleb J. Ross all over the internet as Mm -hmm. Caleb J. Ross. That's the letter J, not J-A-Y. And he (laughs) is on Twitter. He is on Instagram. He's got CalebJRoss.com. And if you've listened to any of our episodes, you know that you would love to get more Caleb J. Ross in your brain. Mm-hmm. You can do that on YouTube. Fantastic, fantastic content, Caleb. And I don't have to get in there just through the ear holes. Oh, I yeah. Can... No. He, equal opportunity. Caleb, mm-hmm. he is equal opportunity. I, that's what they always say about him. Always. Absolutely. <laughs> so you can find him all over the net, says Caleb J. Ross. You can find me on the net, says VG Collectaholic. I'm on Twitter, on Instagram, Facebook, and my website that I never use, so don't go there. find me on twitter find caleb on twitter let us know what you think or you can follow the podcast on twitter mou podcast on instagram masters of unlocking and you probably know that you can find the podcast episodes on mastersofunlocking.com or whatever podcastery platform you love to put podcasts in your brain if you use apple itunes go ahead and just Give us a little love. Go slap that five-star review for us. We would love it. That's <laughs> the greatest thing you can do since, you know, we're not shilling out and asking you to subscribe to our Patreon because we're not a bunch of whores. Well, well, well we are. We are. <laughs> we are. We're just too lazy to put together a Patreon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and and we our fragile egos would prevent us from uh from accepting the fact that it would be empty every single month that's true that's true it would be the one dollar a month i subscribed and the one dollar a month you subscribed and that would <laughs> oh you just... think i would ben i think i would contribute a dollar is that what you're saying no no <laughs> so it would be the one dollar a month i subscribed and then unsubscribe because caleb didn't subscribe <laughs> yep <laughs> you don't be the only uncool kid at the party that's right that's right <laughs> oh boy so with that you know we've we've rambled on long enough let's mercifully put this episode to bed we will see you next time on episode 25 of wow. the masters of unlocking almost a year so close